Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ben Afton, and this is the Digital Project Manager Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Takasa Pivonka. Taka, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So it feels like Beyonce is kind of like the equivalent to 20 people. She seems to be everywhere, all the time, making magic happen. And that's probably because she's got a massive staff team. But today, we're going to be talking about time management hacks that we can use so we can be as productive as Beyonce. We're going to get really practical and talk about some of the things that we can do to make more time in our day. These are simple hacks that are going to save you stacks of time and get you on top of your PM game. But first, let me introduce Tucker properly. Tucker is a project manager at Creamer, and they work with lots of different clients, um, funded startups, enterprise clients, doing lots of prototyping, testing uh, for mobile and web applications. Tucker, though, tell us a bit about yourself outside of the office. What do you like doing? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, typically, I like to go on vacations. I like to hike. Um, I did just buy a new house. Um, and so all of those things kind of are what I spend my free time doing. I actually just got back from the Bahamas. Um, oh, very nice. Thursday, so I'm just coming off of vacation this time oh, around. The, but was the Bahamas a good vacation for a project manager? It was a wonderful vacation. We actually did pretty much nothing the whole time and just laid on the beach and soaked up the sun. So, you know, what more can you ask for in a vacation? Nice. And you said you're doing some renovations. Are you in charge? Are you the project manager of the va- of the uh, renovations? <laughs> yeah, to my husband's dismay, for sure. But, uh, <laughs> yes, I am definitely project managing our house like nobody's business. So we bought a house in, in August. And so far, we haven't done anything major. Um, but we're actually queuing up a few projects um, now that it's spring has sprung. Um, so that way we yeah. can get moving on some things on the outside. Do you find you put on your business voice and hat in the uh, in in the home when you're trying to uh, trying to get the project in order to your husband's dismay? <laughs> yes, most definitely. I kind of have to put my, myself in check uh, every now and then and just remind myself that this is not a client. Um, this is my personal life, and I need to give my husband some grace when it comes to that as well. I don't need his approval um, in writing for all this stuff, and you know. It's all that fun, uh, fun product stuff. <laughs> Just sign the statement of work. Just sign the statement of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So um, tell us your story. How is it that you got um, into digital project management? I know you, I had a quick check of your, your LinkedIn and it looks like you started off a long time ago as a stylist. So how does a stylist become a DPM? Sure. So a stylist was actually a job that I held in college. I worked for a small boutique and I really enjoyed helping my clients feel great about themselves um, by dressing them in clothes that made them feel feel good, Um, which honestly kind of has some parallels in the PM world, uh, making your client look good to their boss and their boss's boss. Um, So that that parallel kind of transitioned nicely um, as I got into project management. But after I graduated, I started as an account coordinator at a traditional advertising agency here in Kansas City. Um, so it was a traditional setting, nothing um, digital necessarily in nature. I worked on a lot of print and also in-store um, collateral and that kind of thing. So after I started, though, quickly my digital skills were kind of sussed out by the leadership. And the next thing you knew, I knew, I was developing um, a local marketing intelligence platform that we created within this agency, this advertising agency. So that's kind of where my digital world really started in terms nice. of my professional career. But where did your where did your digital skills come from? Then I'm always intrigued. 
it, I feel like that is, is kind of similar to my journey, but like, where did, uh, where were you secretly honing your digital skills in the background? <laughs> yeah, I, um, I think ever since I was a child, um, I've always had an interest in, it started with an interest in computers and understanding how they work. So when I was really little, I think I was five when I got my first computer, um, I would take it apart and put it back together. So I understood how it worked kind of at a very, you know, very generic nature. Yeah. Um, pull out the round, pull out the hard drive. <laughs> right, right. And then honestly, from there, it just came from tinkering with um, different pieces of software and not being able to push certain buttons or certain commands or, you know, whatever it might be. And it just um, kind of grew from there. And then um, when I was in high school, that those skills developed further. And then when I got to college, I kind of came to a crossroads of trying to decide what I wanted to do um, in, ter- in terms of my professional career. And I chose to go down um, the communication route because it was more generic because I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. Um, And I still kind of kept the digital skills in the background through some um, kind of some odd jobs or part-time jobs throughout college. And then um, I knew that that was always the direction that I wanted to go in with my career. It was just a matter of what stepping stones do I need to cross in order to get there. And thankfully, it happened organically with my first job at that advertising agency. Nice. So are you, so I'm always interested with people who kind of have always been interested in digital stuff and you kind of talked about um, working on little side projects throughout college. Are you working on any of your own digital side projects now? Not have you currently. got your own website? <laughs> I, I, I have had websites you in the do, past. Don't I don't have anything <laughs> that I'm focusing on um, right at this moment, only because this last year has been a huge year in my personal life, both with getting a new home, getting married, starting a new job. All of that kind of comes with its own territory, kind of getting used to your own new flow. So I don't have any side projects right now, um, but I'm sure some will come up in the near future. Nice. So tell us about what you do at Kramer then. Is it Kramer or Kramer? I can't remember. Um, that. Kramer. I remember talking to Alexa. Kramer. So yes. you can't, I got that one too. <laughs> I didn't want to correct you earlier, but yes, it is. Um, we're called Kramer. I don't realize I was, I was mid flow and I was like, you know, when you think, I don't know how to say this word. I'm sorry <laughs> if I, if I'm sorry also if I, if I ruined your surname. Was no, that right or wrong? No, you're completely <laughs> right. You, you pronounced it right on Tucker Sour Pavanka. Uh, crema um actually we used to be called crema lab but then um, people got us confused with criminal lab so we just changed we just shortened it to crema um but i'm I'm a project manager here at crema um and but since we're a product focused agency to begin with we don't really have digital in front of our title because that's what we're focused on anyway so it's it's implied Um, but as a project manager here i typically fill the role of a scrum master and sometimes even product owner depending on the engagement and level of client need Um, but outside of those responsibilities i'm always ensuring my team has what they need to move the, the needle forward ensuring that we're meeting our goals and the needs of our clients as well as always being on the lookout for process optimizations you know just general digital project manager yeah work cool so can you tell us about any of the any projects you're working on the moment that are interesting and that you can talk about? Um, some of them, some of them I can't talk about. No. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I'm working on some really exciting complex projects, and honestly, complex projects are my favorite, and that's kind of why I wanted to get into the digital world. Is yeah. oftentimes you have these really um, complex idea, but you need to find a way to make it generally simple um, for the end mm. user. Um, so it's not complex to them. And so I'm working on a few projects that are 
you know, right up that alley right now. And those are some of my most fun projects to work on. Good stuff. Cool. Well, let's talk about the article you wrote and it's been killing it in the stats. And we were just talking before coming online earlier. And I think it helps that it's about Beyonce. Maybe it's because Beyonce just got bit and, uh, (laughs) (laughs) and that's, uh, yeah, people are excited about Beyonce right now. Um, so if you haven't checked it out, go and take a quick read. We even created a little infographic for you all to share. So please do share that. But especially if you're thinking, Hey, um, this has been great, but I haven't really got time to listen to these two, uh, twittering on today. Uh, this podcast is specially for you. Um, what we're talking about today is about being more productive, not by doing more, but by working smarter. It's not about being busy is about having the ability to focus on the right task without being distracted. And in your article, you talk about five different techniques we can use. You talk about calendar blocking, reducing distractions, energy management, prioritization, and goal setting, uh, and getting things done in meetings. So if you haven't read the article yet, go and check it out. But for uh, for those who are just listening now, can you explain calendar blocking? How does How does that work? Sure thing. Yeah. So this is this is one of my favorite things to do um, in terms of my different strategies that I employ over time. But in its essence, it's it's a relatively simple concept. Um, sometimes, you know, it's something that people oftentimes think they can't do because they're constantly putting out fires. But right. I've been in that world too, and I know that can be challenging. Um, but I would I would push those people to to try to employ this strategy to kind of get out of putting out those fires constantly. Um, I would say that the biggest benefit from calendar blocking is is setting expectations, both internally and externally, that you need you need time to do your job, and you can't do your job if you're constantly getting pulled in a million directions. I have experienced this a lot, where um, you know at the end of the day you've been in meetings all day, or you've getting pulled you've been pulled in a million different directions, and you haven't had any time to actually do your job. Um, so. And by simply blocking pieces of time on your calendar for that time, for get things done time or GTD time, um, you'll find that you are basically reserving meetings for yourself um, to do your own job, which I think is super important. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And for the uninitiated, GTD stands for what, Tucker? Get things done. (laughs) Get things done. Is that... Is that a, I'm not familiar with that. Well, I wasn't familiar with that. I was like, GTD, GTD. <laughs> and then uh, I, I, I figured it out. <laughs> but uh, am I the only one that's not saying GTD? I don't, I don't think so. I, um, I used to call it just, <laughs> I used to just call it, um, you know, um, like I would, I think in, in, in the past I would have different ways of, of calling the same thing, get things done. But then when I joined Crema, a yeah. lot of people here use that same language. So I just transitioned okay. to using that language. Okay, cool. So how much time do you allow for your GTD time? Yeah. So I think the, the times that I select and the amount of time that I choose um, changes from week to week. And it's often based on my workload or what meetings I already have on my calendar. Um, so it, it does vary. Um, sometimes I only have a few blocks of time that are maybe a couple hours each or maybe even just 30 minutes each. It just really depends on what I have going on. Um, but what I do find often is that if I block a big chunk of time, say, for example, two or three hours, I oftentimes that I'm able to, um, if I'm able to truly focus, which I know we'll get into in a moment, but if I'm able to truly focus, I end up getting everything that I need done within half that time or even three quarters of the time um, and end up having free time afterward because I'm able to enter those deep seats of focus because I allow my time, 
myself that time to do that. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's <laughs> yeah, I always find it phenomenal, like how quickly or how, yeah, how short amount of time it actually takes to get some stuff done if you're actually just working on that one thing. Yeah. But, uh, so, so typically we, as particularly as project managers, we kind of thrive in this environment where like, you know, we're the, we're the air traffic controller and we're kind of trying to guide all our planes down to land and see others take off. And we're like spinning around in our chair and doing 10 things at once. And so the reason we think it takes hours to complete a status report is because uh, we're not focusing on it. We could actually get it done in 10 minutes if we just sat down and focused. So I think that that focus, um, is, is a really important, is a really important part of it. Extremely so. Yes. I think that if you're not able to sit down and, and actually get into what you need to, you actually end up being very inefficient with your time. And I like to challenge people that love to multitask to try to narrow that down to one thing at a time. Um, for that yeah. Exact reason. Yeah. And I think part of this is linked to prioritization and goal setting as well. And this is another one of your points in the article. But can you tell me kind of your process for for prioritization and, and goal setting? How do you go about working out what are the important things to work on and what can wait? You talked about a minute ago about, you know, there can be some rather than just firefighting. So how do you how do you work out which of the fires worth putting out and which ones you can kind of just let simmer in the background? Sure, sure. So I've done it a few different ways, but I think the way that I've been the most successful doing it is is being very ruthless in the way that I tie value to a specific task or specific set of tasks. So by value, I mean how much value is it providing? myself, my team, or my clients. And then by viewing my task in this light, it allows me to be re- really quickly figure out what I need to get done and, and in what order. And oftentimes I, I find that I thought I needed to do something. And in reality, it was not as valuable to get that task done as it was, you know, ta- task X, um, that the client needed something or, or that kind of thing. So that's, that's one strategy that I've employed um, that helps me do that. But on top of that, I will each morning take a look at my task list and, and kind of go through and begin prioritizing using that method. Um, and, and I think of my day as kind of like a mini sprint. Um, and it's in the morning, it's kind of my mini sprint planning session. And then I kind of get going with my day and that, and that whole day is my sprint. And typically my yeah. sprint doesn't get too interrupted. Um, if I plan accordingly. That's cool. Yeah. I think, um, I think, one of the one thing that I found useful, kind of aligned to what you're talking about, is is uh, in terms of thinking through like high value activities. So thinking, yeah, firstly, what are my highest value activities? Um, secondly, thinking about yeah, what can I do and and only I do that's going to make a real difference. So some things we can delegate and we should delegate exactly. And then thirdly, thinking about what's the most valuable use of my time right now. And then for me, it's there it's working at, okay, well, there's all these urgent things that I could do. And there are these fires raging around me, but actually they're not, necess- they're not necessarily that important. So it's having, being really clear about what's important and what's urgent. And they're not necessarily the same things at all. Things always feel, things that are urgent always feel important, but the fact is that they're not yep. a lot of the time. That's exactly right. And I think um, a perfect example of that is, 
Um, you know, you, as a PM, you have your daily tasks that are important to the process that you do need to get done. But what's urgent is when you have um, during standup, you know, with with some developers and they have some blockers that are in their way that's impeding progress. Um, that would be an example of something that's very urgent that needs to be removed immediately. And you need to um, be aware of that and adjust your uh, adjust your day accordingly to handle that. Yeah. And I think you uh, you kind of we go across the whole spectrum of ideas in your article. One of the things you talk about is reducing distractions. And this is kind of comes back to that focus thing that we were talking about. But uh, you kind of get very practical in terms of cleaning up your notifications, which I know can be a massive distraction when we've got email notifications popping up. We've got Slack things coming in, probably another couple of messaging apps we're using and then our phones too. So you talk about in your article, cleaning up the notifications on your phone. But how did you get to that point where you were like, hold on, I need to do something about this? So if if uh, for people who are listening, how do you know when it's time to clean up your notifications on your phone? Yeah, definitely. I think we mentioned this a little bit earlier. But I think when I, I realized that I was unable to stay focused on any one given task, which, you know, definitely still happens from time to time, but I would notice that I would see a notification. I'd go look at that notification and then it would send me down a rabbit hole or three different rabbit holes. And the next thing you know, I was completely <laughs> yes. lost track of what I was doing before. And so this, the switching cost can begin to accumulate over time. And I noticed that, you know, my tasks were piling up and I was evaluating why that was happening. And then I realized that it's because I'm getting pulled in all these different directions because that's what notifications are designed to do. Notifications are designed to pull your attention into whatever that notification is coming from. It's competing for your attention. And so um, I was really, really took a deep look into what notifications I was um, receiving. And then that helped me kind of identify um, what, what notifications I actually need and that provide me value and what types of notifications can actually wait. And, and I have, we can get into that in a minute, but um, that's kind of the route that I went in terms of, of finding out that my notifications were beca- becoming a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's um, it, for me, it was really telling. So I, um, I started, uh, using a tool called rescue time. I don't know. Have you heard of rescue time? I have not. I'll have to check it out. It's, um, okay. So it's, it's a tool that it's kind of creepy, but, um, if you don't mind creepy things, uh, so you install it on your machine and what it does is analyze everything that you're doing. So it'll look at the websites you're going to, the applications you're using, how much time you're typing, how much time you're just clearly just mousing around and, you know, wasting time. Um, but I think, yeah, for me, the really telling thing is like when he, <laughs> when at the end of using it for a week and then I looked at how many hours a week I spent on Facebook and I was like, what? I spent, I spent six hours of my week on Facebook or whatever it was. And I was like, that is a terrible use of my time. And it's, of course, it in the moment, it doesn't feel like, oh, yeah, well, I've got six hours to get through on Facebook this week. <laughs> so, um, you know, I might as well keep on going. Uh, you, you never, I don't think anyone ever intends to spend that much time. But having a, having an understanding of, hey, like, okay, in my daily, in my average week, I'm spending, you know, a third of it writing emails. Well, like, that's okay. I'm spending this much time in Excel, this much time in, uh, project this much time in word like getting an idea and then it, it was also able i think to to group it by to try and get an idea of 
different clients you might be working for based on keywords and things. So it can be if you're if you're thinking, oh, I don't think I've got a problem wasting time. I challenge you to install rescue time or actually, and this is one of the things that you talk about is, is evaluating your time and doing timesheets. And even if you don't have to do timesheets, uh, try doing timesheets and you'll suddenly realize uh, how much time you're beginning to spend on stuff. And I think the timesheet, I really like toggle. I don't know what timesheet tool you use, but um i it with toggle they have a timer you can just start that you can start the timer select the project and and you're off uh and just when you see the clock ticking in the corner and you're like i'm supposed to be working on this task because the clock's ticking on it uh, i think it can really help definitely i know um so we use here at Kermel, we use a tool called harvest to track all of our time and, and we use harvest forecast to forecast our time and so i know that i find myself yeah. a lot um evaluating um, where those chunks of time are being spent um, and especially then taking it taking a step back and looking if I'm feeling really overwhelmed for example um, I'll take a look at forecast and see where contractually I should be spending my time and that allows me to kind of take a step back give myself a gut check and uh, really evaluate or reevaluate where and how I spend my time throughout the day and it, it always makes me feel better um, at the end of that exercise for sure yeah. Cool. And um, one of the, um, finally, let's just, um, talk about one of the things that I think is a, is a really interesting one, uh, in terms of saving time, having more time. Uh, you talk about getting things done during meetings. Mm -hmm. So I'm intrigued how you, how you actually like practically do this. So you, so as I understand the scenario, you're in a meeting and you're, you realize, you know, we're talking about some stuff and then you're like, okay, I can action that right now. And you're like, hold on guys, <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make this happen. So how do you do that in such a way that, you know, the, the meeting flow doesn't get ruined and, um, and people aren't just sitting there waiting for you to finish bashing out whatever task or, <laughs> or email. I'm just picturing you sat, sat in a room hammering away on your laptop and everyone just <laughs> staring yeah. at you waiting for you to yeah. finish. How do you make that so work? So I think there's a couple points here to make. So the first one is that there's a time and place for everything, right? So there are obviously certain types of meetings that you don't want to do this type of thing in. Um, however, if it is, say, for example, an internal meeting um, that you are talking, you're, you know, it's near, you're ending a sprint, um, but you need to get a few questions answered, for example. Um, but I can fire off that question in about five seconds and typically I'll have an answer before the meeting ends and it will greatly affect the outcome of the direction we're going in. So although it might pull me away yeah. for that five seconds to type that message, the the payoff is greater. So I think it's, it's about understanding yeah. which, which things you can and can't do. Obviously I'm not going to type yeah. a big email or try to get feedback on designs asynchronously, you know, in the middle of a meeting, I think it's all about the types of things yeah. you're doing. Yeah. And I think that's an important point is that, if you're going to get things done in the meeting, it must not pull away your focus from that meeting. You need to be respectful of everybody's time in that room as all of their time is extremely valuable. And if you're wasting it by, by doing your own thing, that's not, that's not respectful. So that's kind of my, yeah. my point of view on that. And it usually is just a Slack message or something like that, that I just need to shoot off really quick that, that 
you know, might take five seconds in the meeting, but might take three minutes later after, cause I'll have to context switch back to it and remember what I needed to ask. And it'll take me time yeah. to think about it. So that's kind of how I go about getting things done in the meeting. Definitely don't want to disrupt anything um, as we're in those call, you know meetings. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. And I think one of the things that we can't underestimate as PMs is, is the, the power of momentum. And I think um, often when we can be in a meeting and, uh, we're having a discussion about something and there's a bit of an impasse because, you know, we don't know the answer to a question. Um, the worst thing is for, for the, to then have to adjourn the meeting. Um, so, you know, until that data point has been resolved and then you have to have another meeting, you have to schedule it to, to tell everyone, you know, the answer <laughs> that you were looking for. So trying to build, trying to do everything you can to build momentum. So where there are blockers, and they'll typically be blockers when we're in meetings and people are saying, you know, well, I can't estimate that because I don't know this. Uh, so getting those barriers out the way as, uh, as much as we possibly can in real time and beginning to get some momentum uh, in our projects and in our meetings so that we're actually get, getting people to be able to action things rather than just go away and find out more information, I think is a, is a really, really helpful, helpful comment. For sure. Um, but talking about, so we, 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 we touched on tools, you talked about um, harvest and forecast, but I'm interested, are there any other kind of time related tools or other kind of what's in your PM toolkit that, that you Yeah. Love? So in relation to, you know, timing and, and meetings and things like that, I have been, uh, and, and members of my team also have been using um, a tool called Meeting Bird lately, um, and that really helps us um, not have to spend all of our time coordinating meetings because you can simply set up um, available times, and it, it looks at your calendar and your attendees' calendars and finds a spot that works for you. And I know that works really well for our team and our clients, um, so we're not going back and forth on manually typing in times in an email that we'll meet. Um but outside yeah. of that, um, using Harvest and Harvest Forecast, um, I use Asana a lot um, for a lot of our PM work. I use We use ZenHub for a lot of our development-related projects and, of course, Slack um, and Dropbox Paper. But then we also use um, client-specific tools um, as they are needed, like Jira, for example. Um, some clients would rather us have us in their environment, and so that's what we do for that. And then, of course, email is you know pretty standard, but... Um, those are, those are some of the tools that I, I keep in my toolkit that I, I probably log into at least a few times a day. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about Dropbox paper because I always see it. Um, as, as in, you know, I can see in my Dropbox, Dropbox yeah. paper, but I, I've never been into it and used it. What do you use Dropbox paper? It is paper? a wonderful collaboration tool. So we use it, um, it. Think of it similar to Google Docs in the sense that you can have multiple people in a document. Um, working together on it, commenting, that kind of thing, but in a much more intuitive interface. Um, not only that, but since it is shared on Dropbox um, and we store a lot of our files on Dropbox, getting clients in there is relatively easy as well. And so that's generally where we store, store all of our project documents, um, project journals, all of that kind of thing, all get stored there. Um, and it just allows for easy, quick access. Um, and the other nice, you know, has some other nice features like it supports Markdown, for example. And I use a app called Bear for all of my notes, which also supports Markdown for formatting. So kind of those things go hand in hand. Um, and it makes it really easy to transition from one tool to the next. Hmm. I'll have to try it out. <laughs> I'll take a look. 
Cool. Tucker, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great having you with us today. Thanks for having me. I've really appreciated uh, talking to you. Good stuff. Well, if you'd like to contribute to the conversation, comment on the post and head to the resources section of the digitalprojectmanager.com to join our Slack team, where you'll find all kinds of interesting conversations going on there too. But until next time, thanks for listening. 